This morning we are coming to a study of the book of Malachi. Last week, we, um, when I announced that we were going to take the lesson from Haggai after church, some student told me that she spent a good bit of time trying to find Haggai in the Bible. It's on page 1330 in my Bible, Malachi. It. And uh, if you're looking for it, it's just before Matthew. It's the last book in the Old Testament. And um, this book uh, is written about the time of Nehemiah. Uh, Haggai had as his contemporary preacher Zechariah. Uh, Zechariah was a uh, preacher of visions. And uh, Malachi is a very blunt, straightforward preacher who is seeking through his prophecy to get across a message that needs to be gotten across still to this day. And uh, we will look at some of the lessons that he teaches us. I'm going to begin by reading from the New American Standard Version. Then later I'm going to slip over into the Living Bible a little bit so that uh, it will help you some in understanding. The, this is the book of Malachi chapter 1. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau. And I have made his mountains a desolation and appointed his inheritance for the jackals of the wilderness. Though Edom says, we have been beaten down, but we will return and build up the ruins, thus says the Lord of hosts, they may build up, but I will tear down, and men will call them the wicked territory, and the people toward whom the Lord is indignant forever. And your eyes will see this, and you will say, the Lord be magnified beyond the borders of Israel. This is a good insight, that the Lord is going to be magnified beyond the borders of Israel. Verse 6, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my respect, says the Lord of hosts to you? O priests who despise my name, but you say, how have we despised thy name? You are presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, How have we defiled thee? In that, in that you say, thy, The table of the Lord is to be despised. But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you? Or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? But now will you not entreat God's favor, that he may be gracious to us? With such an offering on your part, will he receive any of you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates, that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. Far from the rising of the sun even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, 
and in every place incense is going to be offered to my name, and a grain offering that is pure. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you are profaning it, in that you say the table of the Lord is defiled. And as for its fruit, its food is to be despised. You also say, my, how tiresome it is. And you disdainfully sniff at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring what was taken by robbery and what is lame or sick. So you bring the offering. Should I receive that from your hand, says the Lord? But cursed be the swindler who has a male in his flock and vows it, but sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is feared among all the nations. The burden of this chapter is to teach us to present our best to the Lord. May God add his blessing to this reading of his word. And now let us, let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the testimony to your grace and love. We bless you for your great faithfulness in keeping us to this moment. We pray that you will speak to us from the strength and the power of your word and from good and faithful servants of yours who love you and who exalt you through their lives. We are grateful for the measure of wealth that we have had entrusted to us. We're thankful for the skills and talents that you've given us. We pray that these tokens of our material possessions may be truly representative of our devotion and love for you and that you will accept them as we give them with all our hearts, praying that they may be directed to good uses that will bring glory to your name. And now make the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts to be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Uh, how many of you know Patsy Neal? Will you raise your hands if you know Patsy? That's good. Now, not many of our people in the Montreat Presbyterian Church get an article in Newsweek. This is a copy of the current edition of Newsweek magazine. And uh, I'm far more interested in the picture of Patsy Neal than I am of Casper Weinberger because... Uh, he may be Secretary of Defense, and that's a good job. Uh, but Patsy Neal is uh, a teacher of physical education here in our school and a volleyball coach. But she writes a very powerful article. It's in keeping with what Malachi is teaching us today. Because he is going to teach us that God will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will turn the children's hearts to their fathers. He wants us to love each other, and that's a gift from God. But if we have mixed marriages and divorce, if we have unfaithfulness, if we have second-rate service to God, then we will break down in our society, and we will not have the love that we ought to have for one another. I want to read you a portion of this article. This is called My Grandmother, the Bag Lady. Almost all of us have seen pictures of old homeless ladies moving about the streets of big cities with everything that they own stuffed into a bag or a paper sack. My grandmother is 89 years old, and a few weeks ago I realized with a jolt 
that she too had become one of them. Before I go any further, I'd best explain that I did not see my grandmother's picture on TV. I discovered her plight during a face-to-face -face visit at my mother's house in a beautiful, comfortable, safe, middle-class environment with good china on the table and turkey and chicken on the stove. My grandmother's condition saddened me beyond words, for an 89-year-old should not have to carry around everything she owns in a bag. It's enough to be 89 without the added burden of packing the last fragments of your existence into a space big enough to accommodate only the minutest of treasures. Becoming a bag lady was not something that happened to her overnight. My, grandma, my grandmother has been in a nursing home these last several years. At first, going back to her own home for short visits, then less frequently as she became older and less mobile. No matter how short these visits were, her greatest pleasures came from walking slowly around her home, touching every item lovingly, and spending hours browsing through drawers and closets. Then I did not understand her need to search out all her belongings. As she spent longer days and months at the nursing home, I could not help noticing other things. She began to hide her possessions under mattresses, in her closet, under the cushion of her chair, in every conceivable, reachable space. And she began to think that people were stealing from her. When a walker became necessary, my mother took the time to make a bag that could be attached to the walker so that my grandmother could carry things around while keeping her hands on it. I had not paid much attention to this bag until we went to the nursing home to take her home with us for our traditional Christmas Eve sharing of gifts. As we left, my grandmother took her long, unsteady walk down the hallway, balancing herself with her walker laboriously moving it ahead of her, one step at a time, until we were finally at the car outside. Once she was safely seated, I picked up her walker to put it in the back. I could barely lift it. Then I noticed that the bag attached to it was bulging. Something clicked. But it still wasn't complete enough to grasp. At home in my mother's house, I was asked to get some photographs from my grandmother's purse. Lifting her pocketbook, I was surprised again at the weight in the book. I watched as my mother pulled out an alarm clock, a flashlight, a small radio, thread, needles, pieces of sewing, a book, and other items that seemed to have no place or reason for being in a pocketbook. I looked at my grandmother, sitting bent over in her chair, rummaging through her bag on the walker, slowly pulling out one item, then another, then lovingly putting it back. I looked down at her purse with all of its disconnected contents and remembered her visits to our home, rummaging through our drawers and through our closets. Oh, Lord, I thought with sudden insight, that walker and that purse are her home now. I began to understand that over the years my grandmother's space for living had diminished like melting butter. From endless fields and miles of freedom as a child and a young mother, to with age the constrictions of a house, 
then a small room in a nursing home, and finally to the tightly clutched handbag and that bag on her walker. When the family sent her to a nursing home, it was the toughest decision it ever had to make. We all thought she would be secure there. We would no longer have to worry about whether she had taken her medicine or left the stove on or was alone at night. But we hadn't fully understood her needs. Security for my grandmother was not in a warm room at the nursing home with 24-hour attendance to keep her safe and well-fed, nor in the family who visited and took her to visit in their homes. In her mind, her security was tied to those things that she could call her own. And over the years, those possessions had dwindled away like sand dropping through an hourglass. First her car, sold when her eyes became bad and she could, couldn't drive. Then some furnishings she didn't really need. Later on, it was the dog she had trouble taking care of. Finally, it would be her home when it became evident that she'd never leave the nursing home again. But as her space and mobility dwindled, so did her control over her own life. I looked at my grandmother again, sitting so alone before me. Now her hair was totally gray, limbs and joints swollen by arthritis. At the hearing aid that could no longer help her hear and the glasses too thick but so inadequate to help her see. And yet there was such a dignity about her, a dignity I could not understand. The next day after my grandmother had been taken back to the nursing home and my mother was picking up her room, she found a small scrap of paper on my grand that my grandmother had scribbled these words on. It's 1.30 tonight. I had to get up to go to the bathroom. I cannot go back to sleep. But I looked in on Margaret, and she's sleeping so good, and Patsy is sleeping too. And with that note, I finally understood, and my 89-year-old bag lady grandmother changed from an almost helpless invalid to a courageous, caring individual, still very much in control of her environment. What intense loneliness she must have felt as she scribbled that small note on that small piece of paper with a small bag on her walker and her small purse next to her. Yet she chose to experience it alone rather than wake either of us from much-needed sleep. Out of her own great need, she chose to meet our needs. As I held that tiny note and cried inside, I wondered if she dreamed of younger years and more treasured possessions and a bigger world when she finally slipped back to sleep that night. I certainly hope so. Now that teaches you a lesson, one that I've been through some this week, and one that's worth learning, one that made me want to talk to my mother last night, and I did on the phone, and one that made me want to go and see her, and one that made me want to reassert Malachi's teaching here, that we have responsibilities to God, and those responsibilities radiate out from God to our families. I know that many of you will want a copy of this, and I'll see that copies are made available for you. Patsy Neal is a Christian and has a great testimony for the Lord. And I'm glad that she got this much-needed message 
before the millions of people who read Newsweek magazine. We have an unusual little church here with a lot of very talented people, and we've got a lot to be thankful for, and we need to encourage each other. Now back to Malachi. I told you a while ago that he is a contemporary of those wonderful men that, uh, and of the type of ministry that they had. Nehemiah had gone back to build a walls around the temple that had been built. After that temple had been built, and services had been started in the temple, uh, the people began to get like people still are, bored with church, presenting second-class service to the Lord. And so Malachi begins to preach to them about their carelessness and indifference at worship. He speaks to them about it because they need to hear that message. They need to know that in presenting to God an animal for sacrifice, you don't bring one that simply strayed or that you stole from someone else, or you, don't want, you do not bring one that is blind or lame, but you bring the best to the Lord. And Malachi will stress that. The people cry out that the, the, the service of worship has become a weariness. Wherein have we wearied him? We are children of the same Father, Abraham, all created by the same God, and yet we are faithless to each other, violating the covenant of our fathers. In Judah, in Israel, in Jerusalem, there is a treachery. For the men of Judah have defiled God's holy and beloved temple by marrying heathen women who worship idols. Let me say this. There are many young people here present. Over the years, I've become tougher and tougher with this. I do not perform a marriage ceremony for persons unless they are believing Christians. I won't marry a person who is a Christian to a non-Christian. That's asking for trouble. It's going against the Word of God. And this is what Malachi is speaking about here. One of the greatest threats to America today is the breakdown in the family. One of the greatest threats in America today is the rampant divorce rate that exists. But there can be no reversal of those trends unless we who call ourselves Christians are disciplined and maintain that discipline in seeking to do what's right even though it's tough and it's hard. But God's way will bring with it blessing, and the Lord wants us to know that. And so he wants us to return to him. Now these people ask that question, return to you, Lord, why we haven't wandered away from you. That's one of the most dangerous signs spiritually that we can possess. The Scots used to pray to God to deliver them from coldness of heart. You remember John Wesley's great conversion experience and how he found his heart strangely warmed. He was a prim and proper Anglican who was unconverted, who came here to America to convert the savages only to find out about himself that he was unconverted. And so God speaks to our hearts. Then uh, Malachi makes bold to say that you have robbed God. And here's one of the most famous verses from Malachi. Will a man rob God? Surely not. And yet you have robbed me. What do you mean? When did we ever rob you? You have robbed me of the tithes and offerings that are due to me. 
bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be food enough in my temple. If you do, I will open up the windows of heaven for you and pour out a blessing so great that you won't have room to take it in. Try it. Let me prove it to you. This is what God is saying to his people. He wants us to give out of the abundance of our heart in our love and devotion to him. In one of the little books that I read on Malachi this week, there was a, a poster being made for a church sign saying, Welcome to the church. And it was a sloppy poster. And the little kid putting it up said, It's all right. It's good enough because it's just for the church. Well, that's not right. We ought to give our best to the Lord. We ought to give our very best to Him. And when we give Him our very best, it begins to show up. A football coach demands the best out of his players, and when he gets the best out of them, you see great things performed on an athletic field. An army demands its best out of its soldiers, and if it does, it can have a winning army. Uh, school teachers who really demand the best out of their students and get the best from their students can uh, make a fine educational institution that will grow. And church membership has become so sloppy and lackadaisical that we as Christians do not ourselves polish our hearts enough before the Lord in the study of His Word, in prayer, and in witnessing to other people about faith in Jesus Christ. I find a great amount of enthusiasm among uh, many students for witnessing. I'm glad that we have those young people who will be going to Fort Lauderdale because there is a very great need for a Christian witness to be there. And why not uh, go to a beach and seek to bear a testimony for Christ? That's where we need to be. Wherever the need exists, we ought to have that testimony and to bring it there. This morning, I think every member of the session prayed with great fervor when uh, Richard White uh, presented himself before our session for its endorsement because of the quality of that young man's life, uh, the brightness of his mind, the faithfulness and dependability in carrying out his responsibilities. And we all are happy to recommend him to the Presbytery of Asheville and expect God to do great things through him because he uh, he's giving his best to the master. But if our hearts grow cold with our love for God, then we do not sense his love, and that makes us not trust him more. That makes us not show the love of which Patsy Neal had her heart touched and saw here, and which we ought to be showing to other people. When we doubt the love of God, we are gripped by fear. We're overcome by things that hurt us and worry us. I hope that you'll be able to, to remember one of the things that I uh, placed today for uh, your help in the bulletin. Last week, at, you know, I go to Appalachian Hall on Sunday night, and I look into the faces of a lot of anxiety-ridden people. And last week, when we began to think about 
seek ye first, that is, putting God first, and knowing when we put Him first, other things will be added unto us. He brings us some release from anxiety. Now, anxiety is a part of life, and none of us will ever be, ever be totally free from worry. It's always going to be a part of life. But one writer that I cited quotes two men in different circumstances. One man in a circumstance, uh, circumstances that are identical can be absolutely serene while the other person is worried to death. Both worry and peace come. Not from circumstance. One man worries about the circumstance. One man is peaceful in the circumstance. And in this instance, the writer that I cited quotes a German mystic whose name was Toller. Now this is worth catching. One day Toller met a beggar. And he said to this beggar, God give you a good day, my friend. And the beggar answered, I thank God I never had a bad one. Then Toller said, Well, God give you a happy life, my friend. I thank God, said the beggar, I am never unhappy. Toller, in amazement, said, What do you mean? Well, said the beggar, When it's fine, I thank God. When it rains, I thank God. When I have plenty, I thank God. When I'm hungry, I thank God. And since God's will is my will, and whatever pleases God pleases me, why should I say I am unhappy when I'm not? Toller looked at the man in astonishment. Who are you, he asked. I am a king, said the man. Where is your kingdom, asked Toller. The beggar answered quietly, My kingdom is my heart. Isaiah said it a long time ago, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusts in thee. This too is a message that comes to us from Malachi. Because he tells us that the Son of God, that the Messiah will come, the Son of Righteousness, and he will bring healing in his wings. By wings it means the rays of the Son of Righteousness. And he does bring that healing to us. He brings that healing as he heals relationships. How does he heal relationships? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If we put God first and we bring him our best, if it's singing, we bring him our best. If it's writing, we bring him our best. If it's preaching, we bring him our best. If it's teaching a Sunday school class, we bring him our best. If it's visiting, we bring him our best. It takes something out of you to do these things. It always does. But that's a gift to God. And God will bless that sacrificial gift. And he will cause it to reach others for his glory. He will cause it to reach them. The work of God demands that we give him our very best. We don't want to be burned out in our faith. We don't want our love to go cold, grow cold. And that love for God will not grow cold when we are willing to really let him be Lord and to give him our best. John the Baptist 
is the one who cites Malachi the most in the New Testament. And after you turn the page from Malachi and come into Matthew, you'll start reading soon about John the Baptist. And when you read John the Baptist's message, and I often have people say, well, these old prophets had nothing but hell, fire, and brimstone. They had plenty of that because they needed it. In a generation such as we live, we need it. But with God's judgment, there is always mercy woven into it. That's the way God's judgment and mercy work. And they bring goodness to those who bring their lives into conformity with his will. I told our prayer meeting group last uh, Wednesday afternoon down at the manse when we were talking, uh, when you watch that striped shirt man at a football game like the Super Bowl who reaches for an orange or a yellow handkerchief and throws it down, that's necessary. That tells you that there is judgment. It tells you there are limits beyond which you can't go. If someone going out for a pass runs up into the stands or into the band, you're not going to throw a pass to him because he's out of bounds. And the limits that God gives to us help us to bring meaning uh, to our life. And this is something that we need to keep in mind very, very much. I'm thankful to the Lord for the blessings that he brings to us. And I'm thankful for the message of Malachi. Thankful that he speaks to us to take away the bitterness and the coldness. And thankful that he takes our lives to make them what they ought to be. In Luke chapter 1, verse 15 through 17, For he will be great before the Lord, speaking of Jesus, who is the Son of Righteousness, he shall drink no wine nor strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. Let us pray. Oh God, our Heavenly Father, we pray that you will deliver us from carelessness and indifference toward your requirements of our lives. We thank you that the greatest gift that thou hast given to us is the blessing of knowing you, and that we know you through your Son, Jesus Christ, and that the blessed Holy Spirit comes to make your word effective in our lives in convincing and convicting us of our sins when we go astray and that you grant us that amazing grace which gives us the opportunity to make corrections and so we pray that you will help us to correct our attitudes to correct our lives and to demonstrate that love which you want us to demonstrate which speaks of your great love to us. And in so doing this, to know that we are in your gracious hands and that all that happens to us in this life happens to us through the loving providence of one whose eye follows a sparrow in its flight and who knows the very number of the hairs of our head. So, Father, 
Help us to know that we have no burden, no problem so big that you cannot resolve it. And that we are fretted by nothing so small that you do not care to deal with it. Help us to know that you're too wise to make any mistake and too good to cause us any needless tears. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our teacher and guide, be and abide with us all, now and forevermore.